episode of Amsterdam Academy's podcast. I'm Hannah Huber, and I'll be your host. Before I jump into the episode here, which we have a very exciting topic for you lined up today, I just want to tell you listeners out there about a big event Amsterdam Academy is putting on together with their event partners this year, Emmy McCarthy of Emmy McCarthy Consulting and Saren Van Diemen of Total Self. On Tuesday, June 14th, our event called Spark. Spark is the second edition of the conference for female entrepreneurs in the Netherlands. This conference is full of breakout sessions, panel discussions, and networking, all living up to Spark's tagline to inspire, connect, and thrive. Whether you have your own business or you're just about to launch one, Spark is a place where you can build your skill set, expand your network, and connect with other like-minded entrepreneurs. This year's edition of Spark is hosted at WeWork Metropole with our very own maitre d' radio host, Petra Grijsen. Our keynote speaker this year is the author of Stuff Dutch People Like and the brains behind the I Amsterdam campaign, Colleen Getzka. Visit Spark's website, sparkwomen.eu, to see the full program and purchase your ticket before they sell out, because they will. And now back to our program. Our first episode was more on the academic side with an ode to the Magere Brug, the Skinny Bridge, and our interview with Professor Christian Brewer on city noise and its effects on our well-being. The second episode was more playful in our quest to find out what makes Dutch swim lessons so special, relating this back to the Dutch relationship with water. I'm especially excited about our third episode, as its topic is something that's always interesting and relevant. It's not gender-specific, and it's not age-specific. This episode is about reinventing yourself. The idea originally came around New Year's, and it's taken me a while to put this together. I originally wanted to do an episode on divorcees in the Netherlands, people that came here for love, got divorced, but decided to stick it out and stay in the Netherlands regardless. So our first interview is on that topic with Ava, but it got me to thinking more about the whole process of reinventing yourself after something like that happens and deciding where to live or where to move to. In that sense, I dug a little bit further and found actually a friend of mine, Donna, was going through her own process of reinventing herself and that she left the Mormon church. She went through a big decision-making process while in Amsterdam, and I also felt her story fit in well with this particular episode. So we have two special episodes for you today, both having to do with the process of reinventing yourself. Some of you listeners out there may have just reinvented yourself, whether that be a new career move, a whole new wardrobe, a new perspective on life, a new relationship. Perhaps you just became a parent, or you got married, or you started a particular new study path. Call it a midlife crisis. Call it time for something new. What fascinates me about the process is the location that it all happens. Did the reinventing yourself part have anything to do with a move to a new place or to your direct environment? I found the stories of these two women interesting because they both decided to stay in Amsterdam regardless of their reinventing themselves and the process that they went through. We could do a whole other episode on the importance of place, but for now, I'd like to share their stories with you and hope this in itself will provide you with some inspiration in your own life or situation. Perhaps you are about to reinvent yourself, or perhaps you just have. I went on a quest to find others who came here for love. It didn't work out, but they stuck it out, stayed, and found their own happy ending. Whether that be a new job, a new love, or a different reason for staying in the Netherlands. My very first guest today is Ava, and we're going to hear her story. Um, so I'm sitting here with her now. Ava, how and when did love bring you to Amsterdam? I moved to Amsterdam in 1996, 1st uh, of November. I was living in Austria and I met my ex-husband-to-be <laughs> there. And we moved, uh, I think within a year we, we were moving here. Uh, Sorry, what nationality was he then? He's Dutch. He was Dutch and I'm Spanish. But we were living in, in Austria. We met in Austria. I was working there and we met at work and um, we started living together there. And then he brought me here. I started working with him at his company. And uh, yeah, we decided to get married. Uh, we got engaged when we were still in Austria, but we got married once we had moved to here in, in Amsterdam. So we were married in 1997. And uh, and sorry, what was the the push? What 
Who made the decision to actually move over here? Well, I think his contract was uh, ending uh, in Austria and he, he had to move back. And I was actually not very happy there in, in Austria. So I was actually looking for a reason to move somewhere else. And I had never been to Amsterdam before. So we came um, on a trip... I don't know when it was, maybe four months after meeting each other, he brought me here and um, I loved it. I loved the city and I said, I think this is a place where I could fit in. Uh, I was back then 25, 24. Austria was not maybe the kind of place for a very young person, while Amsterdam had it all. So I was very happy to make the move. And then you said you got married um, within a couple of months of moving here? or We moved here in November, and I think we got married in June, uh, July of the year afterwards, so 1997. And then we would just, we, we got married in Spain, but we moved back here uh, immediately. So um, we made this our base, uh, home base, uh, let's say. Um, and then tell us a bit about the first couple of weeks or months, years, uh, the challenges perhaps that you faced moving here to your husband, their then husband's home country. Well, when I moved here, of course, I didn't know anybody and I was relying on his friends. But uh, we worked both at the same company, for the same company. So um, I actually met his friends straight away and we it was a very young company so the atmosphere was we were all young and um single or with couples but no children no children yet so the first couple of years it was just very outgoing and then meeting every weekend and doing activities and seeing other friends uh you know, the type of life you do when you are 25, you have no kids, you have two salaries. And, you know, it was it was just a very fun period. For me, everything was new. I, w I was fascinated by the city immediately. It took me a long time to get around it because I found it very confusing to all the canals looked exactly the same. And I was very used to living in different places. But from all places, Amsterdam took me the longest to, to get used to you know and um, I would always be walking with my map because I could not find my way around but I got a bike and and it was just fun it was uh, a lot of fun to move here and tell us a bit about why things didn't work out or what led to the actual breakup or divorce well I think I married too young uh, that was my my first point um and I should have maybe waited a bit longer to 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 marry him. Um, I think I changed when I became twenty seven more or less my I changed as a woman as a person, and i had and we just drifted apart uh, and at one point. It was not that the love was gone, but it was more that we had different uh, interests and I became more outgoing and he wanted more to settle down with kids and I wasn't ready for that. So uh, the point where he started talking about kids, I thought, no, I'm not there yet and I want to do so many other things. And that's when we decided to to go apart. We became, we were very good friends for a long, long, long time until I met my new partner and I became pregnant and that's when he said okay this is uh, this is it but we were able to stay friends for at least 10 years after the divorce good friends yeah? so so parted on on good terms in that sense on good terms um, of course at the beginning it was difficult because of I always there was always a party who wants it and the other one who has to deal with it that, that doesn't mean that it wasn't difficult for me just because I made the decision but um, it was, I think it was easier for me because I somehow wanted it more than he, he didn't want uh, a divorce. So, And um, he had, I'm assuming, a support network because this is where he was from. And at the time when you were making this decision, were there a lot of arguments? Was it, were there peaceful discussions? Um, were you relying in on your own support network that you did to build up over those couple of years here? As I told you before, it was actually the network of friends were his network of friends. So uh, I kind of found many closed doors uh, back then, just because I had made, I had taken the decision, and 
uh, he didn't, so he kind of feels, oh, poor me, you know. So all his friends chose for him. And apart from that, I'm talking about 15 years ago, um, from my, my group of friends, I was the first one to divorce. So everyone kind of looked at me like, oh, you are the strange one, you know, you are separating already. Well, today, I'm the only one not divorced anymore. What All my friends are divorced with children, no children, you know. So now I'm not, I'm not the, the, ooh, uh, the, the rare one anymore. Uh, but 15 years ago, I was. So I had a tough time, mostly also because his friends chose for him. So I, had a f- I kind of lost loads of people. Um, people didn't understand. And so, and then, uh, so basically, if I understand co- correctly, one of the key factors in the divorce also was that you met someone new, and that, or that it drifted apart from each other, and then met someone new. Yeah, I met some, my, my partner. I met uh, ten years later. So, it, it, I didn't break up my relationship because of someone else. No. Um, it was just that we. I changed. I, I completely changed from when I was 24, 25 to 27. I make a, I made a big step as a person. And I wanted I wanted other things. I didn't want to be tied up with children and, and I needed a bit of freedom. Um, he was... He was... Um, I don't know. He was such a good person and I was a bit uh, on the crazy side and I, I had to experiment and I had to live and I had to, yeah, I had to, to to try things, new things. He was never going to allow me to do that. I was never, never going to be able to do that on, on, on my own with him. So we just changed as a couple, so. And I think that's actually one of the things I forgot to include as a reason that people could um split up as people do change and and that sounds like that's a very important factor to consider there you talked about the response of those around you at the time and and his colleagues and thus also your colleagues so what's your happy ending um you you found new love you you stayed in the country i stayed here because i love the city and i had an apartment and i had a job and i felt yeah I felt I, I really had to experience Amsterdam, and I did. I had a beautiful ten years after divorcing, after meeting my new partner, after getting after getting three children, which I have now. Um, um, so I was very happy. I had a ten years of uh, what I really wanted to do: um, travel, going out, parties. You know, just enjoyed uh, my life. Uh, between 25 and 35. And I met my current partner when I was 33. And we dated for about three years. And then when I was 35, 36, I became pregnant. So I'm now 43. We will be 44 next week. And I've got three children. So, yeah, we're not married at the moment. Uh, but is, I, is that, as they say in Dutch, a bevista cause? No, I've, I'm pushing him actually to get married, but uh, he he doesn't want to because he comes from a divorced family and he's got bad memories. Um, although I said to him, we, I mean, the biggest commitment I've got with you is, is three children. So for me, we are already married. Uh, I don't need a paper. It would be more for a practical, uh, it would be more a practical decision. If something happens to me or something happens to him, that things are settled. That's the only reason why I really would marry now, nowadays. Uh, and for the, for the, for the fun, you know, just to invite all my friends and to have a party together. But I married in church, uh, 15 years ago, uh, or 19 years ago, and I don't have the, the divorce, the church divorce. I don't know if you understand what I mean. So I would only be able to marry in the city hall, and he doesn't want to do that. Uh, he's just excuses, just <laughs> excuses. But uh, you know, <laughs> is he Dutch? He is uh, Peruvian, um, but he's been living here since he was eight. So he's got a Dutch nationality, and he, yeah, he, he's Dutch, um, but he's from Peruvian. Uh, he, he was born in Peru. And uh, what's the best advice you can give to those struggling with a divorce or breakup in a place that's not your home, your home route or your country? 
It's not really advice because every divorce is different. Every person is different. There are many reasons why people divorce. I cannot really give advice. The only thing I can say is that life goes on and you move on. Time makes you move on with everything, with a divorce, with a breakup, with a lose, uh, losing someone you love. Time cures everything and you just need to give it that time. Yeah. No, thank you, Ava. And we appreciate you sharing your story with us. I know the listeners also really appreciate it. For our Reinventing Yourself episode, I have another very special guest with me here today, Donna Bardsley. And Donna and I actually met at a podcasting course. And we got together for drinks as part of our reunion. And this whole side of Donna came out that I didn't know even existed. And that really fit in well with our theme of reinventing yourself. And she has a very special story to share with us today. So Donna, thank you for being here. Can you tell me what brought you to Amsterdam? Maybe you could share a little bit with our listeners, a little bit about what you share with me that one night during our podcast reunion. Sure. Yeah. And first of all, thank you for having me on and letting me talk about this. Um, so the simple version of how we ended up in Amsterdam is for my husband's job. Uh, the more complicated version is that we kind of pushed for it. We were looking for a change. And at the time, I didn't really realize it. And I don't know if I would have even admitted it to myself at the time. But it was largely to do with the faith crisis that I was in and the need to have a new environment to figure things out in, um, which is why I'm here talking to you. So if, a part of it was your husband coming over here for job, but... So that determined the location, more or less. And then... Correct, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were limited with where we could go. Um, and of their offices, Amsterdam was our first choice. But as far as just m making that big change of moving from the U.S. Uh, abroad, that was, you know, underneath it, definitely playing into it, was, was kind of this need for, for me, especially, to have a big change so that I could reevaluate some things and figure some things out at that time in my life so it but I didn't even really quite understand that at the time so we can get into that in a bit <laughs> okay no perfect because um how long was that uh, how long ago was that we moved here in 2011 we're almost to five years so when have you ever had to reinvent yourself again I'm going to try to pull the story out of you this way so maybe we could recap a bit about what you told me you mentioned faith already and and the so-called crisis that you were finding yourself in at that moment. Can you tell us more about that? Right. So I was raised as a Mormon in a big Mormon family in suburban California in the 1980s. And it was largely, you know, it was a great childhood. And I have happy memories and a loving family and all of that. And I was also taught things like, you know, the true gospel of Jesus was given directly to this kid in 19 or in the 1830s in upstate New York. And an angel just led him to these ancient records that just happened to be close to his house and told the story of the Native Americans who came from Jerusalem in 600 AD. And as it turns out, were also followers of Jesus. So this is all the stuff, you know, that that I was taught growing up and that I absolutely um, accepted and wholeheartedly believed because people that I loved and trusted um, told me, taught me those things. So I was fully on board being a Mormon, loved it in many ways, um, and went to a private Mormon university in Utah for, for school. I was married by the age of 20 to another Mormon to a Mormon man, um, who I had only hadn't even known very long. By the time we got married, we had not known each other even a year. I was, I had my first child by 25. I had my third child by the age of 30. So I was like fully on track um, in the Mormon life. I was going to be a good Mormon wife and mother and everything about my life was completely, um, completely encapsulated and defined by Mormonism. When I was, when I had my second child, shortly after I had my second child, my husband came home from church and came out of the atheist closet and told me he no longer believed either in Mormonism or in, or in God. It was absolutely devastating to me at the time. Um, so you were shocked when you heard this? 
I was completely shocked um, at that up until that point. You know, I I knew that there was worse things that could happen to you, but up until that point in my life, that was the hardest thing for me. Just completely rocked everything in my in my life. But two to three years later, I was in the middle of my own major questioning and crisis of faith, which I know is a dramatic way to phrase it. That's more just that's more the term that people use in my community, in the Mormon community. They say faith crisis a lot. Um, it, I mean, crisis sounds really overly dramatic, but um, basically when everything you know and everything you've been taught is tied up in this one religion and then you start to doubt it, it can be very, it can be very scary, it can be very unsettling, and it can... I mean, I went through a depression. I had a lot of anxiety over it. It was really uh, difficult. And in that sense, it sounds like the right term to use, I would think. And you have midlife crisis as well and right. faith crisis. Yeah, it's all tied up in, in that. Um, during that time, if, or a few years after that, we ended up moving to Amsterdam. By the time I was 34, I had decided I also no longer believed in the Mormon religion or in any religion. And it took three more years to actually work up the courage to completely leave the church so I did not believe in anything, in any of um, Mormonism or in any religion, and I still continue to attend and uh, behave as if I was Mormon to friends and family because I did not know how to make that switch. Um, so, And we're talking about a span of about six years here now because um, you said three years and then you had a point where... You're going through that. And did that all start with your husband coming home that one day to tell you? Or was that was that part of it? Well, it's definitely played into it. But he, I, I feel like I need to make it very clear, especially for any um, friends and family of mine that are listening, he absolutely never uh, tried to push me in any particular direction. He was very respectful of my beliefs. And um, mostly, I mean, just in a nutshell, uh, it was a combination of things. One is that I actually sought out support as a believing uh, Mormon with a non-believing spouse. And when you go, when you seek out support for that, and you find, I did find a support group on the internet, everyone talks about why their spouse doesn't believe. And so then you're introduced to all these other problems. Um, so a lot of it was just that. I mean, I, for the first time, was really thinking and, and kind of being introduced to difficult topics in my religion, not through my husband at all, but because I was seeking help. Um, and then completely not even related to church stuff at all, I read a book that just completely changed the way um, I thought, completely changed the way I approached the world. And that made me realize that it was okay. I was already kind of deep in this, uh, this doubting, like this questioning and wondering phase, but feeling very guilty about it and feeling like it was something that was very shameful and that I was bad, that I was a bad person because I had doubts. And I'd always been taught that in church that if you're strong and have enough faith, then, you know, you won't, then you can't like, be led away, led astray. Um, and anyway, so I read a book, um, actually called wild swans, three daughters of China. I don't know. If wild swans. Sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, has nothing to do with Mormonism, but it just describes a, a young girl and her upbringing in the, um, in China during the cultural revolution. She ends up moving to England and she describes, uh, later at the end of the book, kind of how, Mao was able to be successful, um, basically brainwashing the entire population. And she describes, you know, kind of the main, <clears throat> sorry, um, the main, what's the words, uh, like the ways that he did it, the, th the three things that are kind of present there were present in the culture. Um, and I, I recognize them and I'm not trying to say that like Mormonism is equivalent to, you know, communist China and <laughs> thing like that. And they're not even, they're not even close. Um, but that there's just, there were similar things that just very, um, that were recognizable to me. And it made me realize that I'd never really thought about, I'd never really, um, not that I hadn't thought about my religion. I thought about it all the time and I thought I was actually very, uh, 
I thought I was a critical thinker about it, but I'd never actually examined it. I've never actually stepped outside of it to look at it and make sure that it was really what it claimed it was. And I'd never really thought for myself about it. And it always, it's like, I don't know, like if you grew up in a family and they drive a certain type of car and when you learn to drive, they give you that kind of car and all that, and you're surrounded by people who love that brand, let's say it's a Toyota, you know, and then the only ever other only information you ever get about cars is like from Toyota because you sign up for their newsletters and you get like you're on their mailing list or whatever. And then one day you realize like you've never even researched anything. You've never even researched cars or you've never, you know, tried a different to drive a different car but you're convinced that Toyota is the best. This is like a weird analogy, but no, I think that's a great analogy that really puts it into perspective, I think. And like you said, I think that's a huge part of reinventing yourself is taking a step back and looking at yourself from far or from a completely different angle. And it sounds like that's what this book did for you. Exactly. Yeah. So it really, um, it kind of, what I say is before that, um, I had this little, I had a Mormon box, that everything that I experienced and everything that I thought about the world had to fit in that box. And it, it was hard sometimes to, you know, cram things in there and some things didn't fit just right. And it, but you know, you kept telling yourself that's, but that's the way it is. Everything has to fit in there. Um, there was so much at stake, you know? Mm Um, and that reading that book and thinking about that and thinking about how, uh, how to think, for myself, it blew that box open. And I was able to, at that point, just examine, I was able to step back and say, I'm going to figure this out for myself. And if Mormonism is the, is what it says, or it is like the true church, that's what we always say, then there's nothing to fear. And if it's not, well, then I need to stop. I, you know, then what's to fear about that either? Because I need to be right. I mean, not that I need to be right. That sounds so bad. But I want to make sure that something that I'm giving so much time and energy and even money to, devoting my entire life to, is actually what it says. And if it's not, then then that's what it is. And I had to be okay with that. And I had to be okay with, with uh, deciding that I was an adult and I could figure that out rather than just accepting what everyone told me. Other people might be saying, like, duh. (laughs) Um, But it took me until the age of, you know, well, over 30 to to ever realize that and think about that for the first time. And was that a a process or was that just from one day to the next, an aha moment? Um, And and where did this happen that that you really came to terms so that was while we were still living in the U.S., um, and that was shortly after my third child was born. So I was just over 30, and um, I would say, I mean, in some ways, that was like a very dramatic moment. I mean, I really do remember reading that book. Oh, and by the way, that was a book we read for my Mormon book group. Okay. Yeah, that's, just, that, that's an interesting spin. We read it for my Mormon book group, which... And this is crazy, but um, the books all had to be approved by our church leader. And this is like a woman's book group, and we had to go to our, our bishop, who's always a male, and he had to approve all of the books that we read. I mean, that just seems so insane now. Um, and that was a book he approved, and it completely, I would say that's like the book that kind of made me lose my faith. Now, I didn't necessarily at that moment decide Mormonism Mormonism isn't true, but it was definitely a dramatic moment where I just gave myself permission to figure it out rather than just feeling so much in turmoil about, I don't know what I believe anymore. And I remember sitting at home or sitting in a bathroom or sitting in our bathroom one night crying because I, I didn't know how to be Mormon anymore, but it was the only thing I'd ever known. So I didn't know how to not be Mormon. I was just very much tied up in this like, you know, angst of this. And reading that book was a dramatic moment because it allowed me to just push all that angst aside and and decide that I didn't have to feel guilty. I didn't have to feel bad about this anymore. Um, so it was definitely, uh, a, a, that was an intense moment. But then, like I said, it took years after that for me to go through the process. What I ended up having to do was I basically kind of deconstructed, this is how I think about it, I deconstructed 
everything I'd ever believed or everything I'd ever been taught, took it all apart, examined everything, um, read a lot, listened to a lot of podcasts and, you know, tried to seek out other information, not just from the Mormon church and, um, and tried to be really careful about that as well, though, because, um, one thing that Mormons will, a common narrative within our church and maybe in other churches as well, or any sort of, uh, you know, community that's really tied up in a lot of dogma or something that they, they try to stigmatize people who leave. And so one of the narratives within the Mormon church is that people who leave, um, have gotten, have been deceived by maybe like anti-Mormon material and stuff. <clears throat> Sorry. So it, w- it sounds like you were really educating yourself as what you were doing. Yeah, so I had to go through this process of, of, of kind of relearning about Mormonism and really delving into it. It became much more fascinating than it actually had ever been before. Um, but it was hard. And then I had to, you know, pick up all the pieces and reexamine everything and figure out what they said rather than trying to make them fit into some notion. And rather than saying, I'm going to find out for myself, but I have to find out that the church is true. As long as I find out that the church is true, um, that's all that matters. And instead I was saying, I'm going to find out for myself what really, what it really is and whatever it is, is what it is. And I have to accept that once I was okay with that, it became a very different process. Um, and so then I reconstructed everything. And in the end, um, I left Mormonism because of Mormonism, because it wasn't what I had thought it was. It wasn't what I'd been taught. Um, there's still a lot of things I love about it, but it wasn't, it wasn't, um, I didn't believe it anymore. <laughs> um, I also left religion because of religion. So I, I, people tend to ask, did you leave religion because of Mormonism? Well, I examined, I, you know, I ended up having to kind of evaluate everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in the end I, I left it all. And so, uh, it might be a strange question and it's, um, one that just comes up now, but do you believe in in a higher power, or is so? How would you would you categorize yourself in any way now? I do, I categorize myself as a skeptic, which um, a lot of people equate immediately with cynicism. I'm not a cynic. I'm a skeptic. <laughs> I'm not bitter and angry, although sometimes you know I am angry about certain things. Um, but I'm generally actually. Uh, look at this as a good process, as a, a, a great thing that I went through. Um, I'm happy now. And I would say I fall on the side of atheism, for sure. I don't mind that label at all. Um, you know, agnostic is also a good term I embrace. Mm-hmm. But I definitely, uh, the world, all, all religion now to me is um, equally crazy. I don't differentiate (laughs) between, you know, and this is where I'm going to offend everyone who's religious, but, um, you know, it's, it now seems, I don't, I don't think that beliefs of any one particular religion are less or more crazy than any other one. (laughs) And, um, can you maybe go into a little bit about the environment and what's, what's that meant for you? You had a big move over here with your family, um, maybe you could also touch on the reactions from your direct immediate family and friends. Um, yeah, just, just a pure environment and also social environment. What changed within that? Yeah. Um, I don't want to sound overly dramatic, but, um, if Mormonism could be in my DNA, it would, I mean, my, it's not just my parents. It's not just my siblings. It's my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents. We go all the way back to the foundings of Mormonism on both my parents' side. I mean, it is so embedded in who I am and who my family is and my entire heritage, um, not to mention my entire social circle. You know, we didn't live in Utah. We didn't live in a densely Mormon populated area, but there is enough um, of a community in Seattle where we lived that we were able to pretty much uh, create our life so that we we really only interacted with Mormons. Um, and it took up, and it's not really that we didn't want to be friends with people who were Mormon, it's just that it took up all of your time, it mm-hmm. took up all of your energy. You didn't have any 
space or room left to give to anyone else or to let anyone else in. So every it everything about my life was wrapped up in Mormonism. Um, it influenced, you know, major life, most all of my life decisions and, and aspects. I mean, I'm, I, I tend to be a person who likes to exaggerate, but I'm not actually exaggerating about this. <laughs> so um, the impact for me, uh, talking about just friends and family and my environment was just huge. I mean, it was, um, I had to figure out how to physically not be a Mormon, like to actually how to stop going to church. That was really hard. <laughs> yeah, no, I could imagine. <laughs> um, I had to figure out what to do about, like, for example, trying alcohol and coffee for the first time at the age of 35. And How did that go? Um, it was definitely an experience. I think when you're past a certain age um, without trying those things, you try them and you're like, I don't understand humanity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just say I haven't really um, incorporated it into – it's not a big – part of my life at all so you don't need that cup of coffee to get started in the morning um i kind of like the ritual of it but i definitely do not like the taste of it okay. <laughs> <laughs> same with alcohol it's uh yeah um but those are weird those are just weird things about this whole thing um also even just the way i dress i mean mormons have a very uh they have a strict dress code mm -hmm. and i suddenly wasn't uh i wasn't bound by that anymore and i had to figure out you know it was it's just giving yourself permission to wear a tank top because it's hot outside it was hard <laughs> and it, well it did open up a whole new um choice when you went shopping i'm sure right exactly um and yet there's still there's it took a while for there to not be guilt yeah. associated with all that stuff really you know so even just physical aspects of my life uh were were weird to navigate or hard to navigate um i but the biggest thing is just that that was my community. That's my tribe. Um, I will, I still really claim myself as a Mormon. I tend to say I'm a former Mormon or a recovering Mormon, but it's, it's, I will never not be Mormon. It's so much a part of who I am and how I grew up. Um, it's, it's so, the impact has been so enormous. Um, but at the same time, within my community, I can't participate in the same way I used to. And of course that's all my choice, but at the same, but also, um, I, you know, I've, I've lost my place in it, uh, according to other people as well. I can never, I can never participate or be part of that community, even in the way I would like to, because, because of now, um, how, I'll, how I'm perceived by other people within it. And have you made peace with that? Are you okay with that? I am because there's definitely, um, you know, because I don't, I don't believe it. But it doesn't mean that I don't miss that at times and that I don't mourn it. And do you feel that um, going back to with the move to Amsterdam and your environment now, um, do you feel that you have found a new community more or less or that you've, you feel comfortable in the skin that you're wearing now and that you in that sense have completely reinvented yourself or do you find that you still continue to reinvent yourself every day? A little bit of both. <laughs> um, I, I'm definitely comfortable where I've landed. Uh, I've had to do here. I had to, for the first time in my life, find a social circle outside of my church, which was hard, but I've done it. I've, I think in some ways I've kind of transferred that need for a community to possibly Amsterdam mamas. Um, you know, that at the right now that kind of fulfills that for me. Um, okay. And with, and, and also with um, your support within your direct family, with your children, your husband, um, you mentioned that you have told family oh, yeah. members um, and so maybe you could talk a little bit more about that, of how, how they reacted. Yeah. So I, we finally, um, about a little over a year ago at the end of 2014, I finally decided I couldn't take it anymore. And, um, we stopped going to church and we told my, we told our, our family, we told our parents and our siblings. And I also told a few close friends, that was, I was very cautious about it, but I also had a lot of anxiety about how to, how to do that. Um, Mormons don't 
officially practice shunning. Like for example, the Amish do, it's like a, a, it's an official thing. Um, and it's not like that in the Mormon church, but there's definitely a level of shunning that can happen, whether it's purposeful or not. There are people who leave the church and then they lose their family. Their family won't speak to them again. Relationships become very strained and it's really difficult. And uh, my family is really important to me. I come from a big family. I really love them. We're not like, I mean, there's so many of us. It's hard to be really physically close. We don't even live by each other. But um, I really wanted those relationships to not be damaged. I had to figure out how to do that very carefully. Um, so it took me a long time. It took me a long time to figure out, to get just to get up the courage to tell them um, and to figure out how to do it in, a, in an effective way that wouldn't harm the relationships. And it went really well, actually. My family's been really great about it. My friends that I've told have reacted really well. As well. Did you tell them all in person or over the phone? Most, um, most I actually, it happened by email. Okay. Which is, Another form of communication. Yeah, and it's so, it's so, it sounds so terrible, but when you live, when you have the physical distance between you, it's, you have to figure out how to do that. And we didn't really have any visits coming up. I mean, we did have like six months down the road, we were going to be going to the U.S., but I didn't feel like I could wait that long. Um, and then there was Skype as an option, but I felt like I needed to be able to say, I need to be able to control what I said, control how I said it, and give that to them. And Email's great for that. Yeah, and then they can respond. They have their time. And it doesn't all have to happen in real time. It doesn't have to happen right in front of each other, which I think... Um, especially just given the emotions that would have been involved there. I, I was not able to, I didn't feel like I could deal with that. Mm-hmm. I needed to just say my thing and then let them be able to process that and then come back to me. So that's how it worked for me. But other people really need to do that in person. I, it's different for everyone, but it went it went as good as I could have hoped for. The next part is then there's like your extended social circles and especially with the world of social media that can get really strange and i actually have not yet been able to to breach that um i've kind of hit a wall there and part of it is i needed the time i needed the time to kind of sit with just my family and close friends and people who knew me or people who um, are close to me and um, i'm also a fairly introverted and private person and so there's a part of me that feels like this isn't anyone else's business but there is that that world that we live in today where we are just a little more public and um and i knew that there was this lack of authenticity or this um this gap of authenticity that I that I did that I was not able to be really who I was who I am, um, and that other people still perceived me as being who I who they thought I was or who, who I was before, um, and it's it's been weighing heavily on me how to do that. How do you how do you just you know come out so to speak, <laughs> and not trying to make light of that um, for people in that actual situation, but you know you do you ha- there's like the big reveal that has to happen at some point, and I want to be in control of that, and I want it to happen on my terms. So I feel like this actually doing this interview is kind of a, a good opportunity for that to be able to to share my story and um, like so people can actually hear my my voice telling my story. Um, and it's a little more personal, but also um, it's not direct. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's, a, that's the beauty of podcast is uh, that you're able to share so much. And voice does a, does a lot of the work for you and, and just being able to tell your story and everything behind that. Um, and that actually brings me to my next question, because I'm sure there's listeners out there that find themselves in a similar situation or they're reinventing themselves in whatever way, shape, or form that may be. Um, and I think a couple things that are really important that we touched on today is um, the whole thought press process that goes behind it, the stepping outside of yourself and looking at yourself from afar. Those are all things, I think, that come into play, whether you just went through a divorce, a divorce career change, um, midlife crisis, 
uh, I think everyone's reinventing themselves every day. We reinvent ourselves, like you said, for social media. There's this persona that you have for the public. There's one that you have uh, for your more uh, immediate circle. Um, so reinventing yourself remains a fascinating topic, and we could go in so many different directions with it. But your story, I think, is especially uh, important, an important one to share, and um, also because of the the time span that it covers and the thought process that went into it um it's just not something that happened immediately overnight sometimes uh major accidents or occurrences can create uh reinventing yourself situations but this is a very special one i feel so if if there's anything that advice that you have for those that find themselves what would that be oh that's so hard i actually i feel like i I can't really give advice. I could probably use some advice more. <laughs> <laughs> or what What for you was a, a, a crutch maybe or a, a, a tool perhaps that you think, or what was for you um, important for the whole reinventing process? Well, I'll say, um, you know, a little bit of a difference is that I, I didn't really initiate this. I didn't really set out one day to say like, you know what, you know what sounds good today? I'm just going to like totally reevaluate my faith and all of my beliefs and, and maybe not be Mormon anymore. Like that, that's not, um, what, that's not how it happened. Um, it was, it was much different. So, um, and I, I don't really think of myself as having like the healthiest emotional, um, habits and tendencies. So, um, I, I don't know, I guess I, I, ha I learned a lot of lessons. It was definitely a hard process. Um, and I would say I, not so much, well, the only advice I would give people is, um, get, get the help and support you need. You know, I, I did talk to a therapist for a little while, especially as I was trying to figure out how to tell my family, um, you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. If, you know, if you want to go talk to a therapist, a, a trained professional to help you with this sort of stuff, it's okay. Um, I think that's totally fine and that's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, or even just surround yourself with support from a f even just a few people who you know will will be supportive of you. You know, get, send them a, a private message saying, you know, I'm about to make this change or I'm going through this change and it's a big deal or I'm going to do this or something. And um, and just say like, I just need, I just need to know you're there. I just need to know you have my back. And, um, that can be really helpful. Um, but other than that, I would just offer a lot of empathy to people, to anyone going, going through anything similar. Like a, if you're going through a change that is, uh, involves like pain or confrontation or just a lot of things outside your comfort zone, um, you know, I just, I just offer that, that empathy. I don't think that I don't want to sound like I think what I went through is terrible and traumatic and horrible. There's certainly worse things to go through. Um, I still also, like I said, I, I love Mormons. I love my, I, you know, I just really in love and respect a lot of things about the way I was brought up. Um, so it's not like I think, oh my gosh, this is such this, this horrible thing, you know, aspect of my life but it, it was a hard process it was a painful process to to peel back every all those layers to learn how to think critically um to think for myself and to figure out all these things that, like we all just talked about but so i offer empathy and then the only other thing is um i just have a few quotes that really resonate with me um and have you know that i've come across during this process um that have really helped me so Here's one. Uh, when we make a change, it's so easy to interpret our unsettledness as unhappiness and our unhappiness as a result of having made the wrong decision. Our mental and emotional states fluctuate madly when we make big changes in our lives. And some days we could tightrope across Manhattan and other days we are too weary to clean our teeth. This is normal. This is natural. This is change. And that's by Jeanette Winterson. Um, I really like, a good one. I really like that quote. Um, another one, and this one I just absolutely love, by Cynthia Ocelli. For a seed to achieve its greatest expression, it must come completely undone. The shell cracks, its insides come out, and everything changes. To someone who doesn't understand growth, it would look like complete destruction. Wow, that's the perfect quote for the reinventing yourself <laughs> episode. I can't put it any better way than that. Yeah. And then also. Um, 
Mara of age eight says, sometimes you just need to take a nap and get over it. <laughs> I like that. Very nice. <laughs> well, Donna, I can't thank you enough for sharing your private story with, with all our listeners today. I think, um, it's a fascinating story about reinventing yourself. And when I heard it for the first time, I said, we need to get a podcast about this. So I really appreciate you sharing today. And, um, is there anything else you want to say to our listeners? So the, the only thing that I would say is that, you know, we've talked about this big change and undergoing this, this long process and everything. And that in the end, I do feel like I have fundamentally changed who I am. But at the same time, I'm still exactly the same person. And that's a really bizarre aspect of this is that um, I'm still largely the same. And, um, and that's kind of what I want actually to tell a lot of people who might be listening to this and be freaking out people in my social circle. <laughs> um, I'm still the same person. I do have radically different beliefs than I used to. Um, but it ha it actually hasn't really changed who I am at my core. Yeah. The essence is still there of Donna and it's just, and I think that's a huge part of reinventing yourself is that it doesn't have to mean that your core person isn't there anymore. Yeah. It's just another aspect of yourself changes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's a paradox. And I really love paradoxes. Always have said the <laughs> same as well. Um, and then the other, the final last thing is if there's anybody out there who is going through something similar, maybe if, you know, I mean, it's, it can be very lonely and isolating, especially within the Mormon church. But I imagine if any religious transformation would be like that, or even any, other sort of transformation um, could it can be very lonely. It can be a lonely place, and so if anyone um, is going through something similar and wanted to reach out to me, I'm I'm happy to t to talk to anybody and just give you, you know, just listen because that's what you need a lot. Thank you. Thanks so much, Donna. I appreciate you coming in today. Thank you, Hannah, so much. And that concludes our third episode on reinventing yourself. Tune in next time to Amsterdam Academy's podcast. And thank you for listening.